Welcome to Outside Game, the podcast. I am Don Povia. It's been about two weeks since we last spoke, and what a two weeks it has been. I hope everyone out there is safe and healthy, as are their families. Uh, it's been a wild ride, and uh, here we are. Uh, I understand that a lot of you are probably in the same boat that I am. I am uh, home with three kids and a spouse and trying to keep out of each other's hair while uh, trying to keep our wits to us. But uh, we have a great show. We have a great guest today. I'm joined by one of my oldest friends and one of the best, just genuine people that you will ever get to meet and ever get to know. He is multi-talented. He is a restaurateur, an entrepreneur, a singer, an actor, a host, an advocate, a little bit of everything. And even better, if you're watching on the video stream and you can see my t-shirt here, it is National Cheesesteak Day. So I have my favorite cheesesteak uh, restaurateur, I guess you'll call him. Uh, we'll go with that for now. But uh, Tony Luke Jr., thanks for being on, Tony. What's up, man? Uh, thanks for having me. And guess everything you said, right back at you, my brother. Uh, you're an I amazing have... man, Don. You really are. I appreciate that. We've known each other for a good decade now, and certainly I, I knew of you before that because I reached out to you when I was looking for somebody with a cheesesteak joint for uh, one of our mutual friends, and I said, well, let's go to my favorite and start out with that, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I did because uh, it's really been a great relationship, and I appreciate you, Tony. Right back at you. So let's start Let's start on the light stuff. Uh, National Cheesesteak Day, one thing that always uh, I guess cracked me up about you a little bit is that you hear about these cheesesteak wars in Philadelphia and everyone has a, has a side. Uh, one of the guys that you would call a general in that war, you would think, is actually probably uh, Switzerland in uh, in this case. Tell us about your thoughts on, on the cheesesteak wars there in Philadelphia. Well, you know, I, I think the wars are really between the actual people that have their favorite cheesesteak spots because I can tell you from experience that Gino Vento, who is now the owner of Gino Steaks, Frankie Oliveri, who owns Pat Steaks, uh, Steve, uh, that, uh, Steve that owns Prince of Steaks, um, Jim Steaks, um, you name it, uh, John from, um, from John's Roast Pork, we are all a very, very, very close-knit community. We not only respect each other, but we respect each other's product. So when it comes to that, that cheesesteak war, it's not between us. It's between people's favorite. In fact, Frankie lives in the same building that I live in. Gino lived in the same building that I live in. In fact, Gino talked me into moving into this amazing building, which I really want to give a shout out to, which is the residence of Dockside. To me, it's the most amazing place in the city to live. So he talked me into coming here, looking at the view and saying, okay, I'll live here. Then both of us talked Frankie Oliveri to come and live in this building as well. So Pat Genas and Tony Luke's basically all live in the same building. See, and, and again, you're, you're the outsider. You're one of those people that wants to dig in and, and really take a side. Uh, yeah, it's all for show. <laughs> Do yeah. you have any hand in this National Cheesesteak Day? What is it? I Again, I was running, and I kind of heard it on my earphones, and I said, oh, i got to give Tony a call and see if we can get him on. Uh, you know, how did that come about? Do you have any idea? No, i got to tell you, I don't, but I will tell you this. The cheesesteak itself truly has risen to a national sandwich. It's not just for Philly anymore. I don't care where you go, people know the cheesesteak. Now, they call it a Philly cheesesteak, 
but it's a cheesesteak to everyone in Philadelphia. So there's such a great respect for the sandwich and the history of the sandwich. And I think that what makes the cheesesteak such a special sandwich is, is really its simplicity. I mean, we're talking ribeye beef. We're talking a really good baked bread and cheese, whether you like American or provolone or whiz or sharp, other than Swiss, uh, any of the other cheeses, they apply. Uh, even one of my favorite sandwiches, believe it or not, which we used to call a Papa Luke, is Philadelphia cream cheese mm. on a cheesesteak. It's outstanding, but it's it's very, very rich. It acquired but, taste. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's that simplicity, Don, that I think makes it such an amazing sandwich. Because it's almost, and, and for me, the perfect cheesesteak is the one that you like. And that's the truth. There's no secret. I cook it one way. Gino's cooks a little bit different. Frankie cooks. But in the end, here comes Switzerland. Really, the best cheesesteak, right? Mr. Neutral, right here. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but it's it's true. What what the best cheesesteak is obviously the one that you prefer. That's the best cheesesteak for you. But all of us do the best job that we can, giving you the best product that we can. One one question though. So it's the best cheesesteak for you, but. You mentioned a couple staples there, right? You got your ribeye, you got your bread, you got your cheese. Maybe you got some fried onions. People start dabbling in peppers, mushrooms. How do you feel about that? Well, look, it's like anything else. When people say to me, well, a, a real Philadelphia cheesesteak is, is peppers and onions. That's not true. Okay, and I think where that started, if you want my humble, uneducated opinion <laughs> on where I think that started was people came to Philadelphia they tried the, the cheesesteak. It is a delicious sandwich. It's ribeye steak most of the time. It's, it's, it's expensive, okay? You can't use crappy steak. So when people were taking it outside of Philadelphia to cut costs, I believe they were using a cheaper cut of meat. So they were chopping it to almost, almost like ground beef status. And then they needed to give it some flavor. So they used peppers and they used onions to try to do that. But to me, I'm a purist. Actually, if you ask me, Tony, what is your favorite way to eat a cheesesteak? It is a plain steak with fried onions and Italian hot peppers. That's my favorite way to eat it. There you go. You have it right there on National Cheesesteak. He's, he's coming down with the decree. We're going to have to all go out and try that right now. Tony, you're, we'll start with the restaurant tour. Uh, you have a couple franchise franchises, right? That you mm -hmm. kind of oversee and manage. You had the original shop, um, but you've kind of expanded your footprint a bit. I saw you were just on QVC. Was it this week? Yes, we it was actually uh, yesterday. Uh, Mon was it Monday? No, Sunday. I was on Sunday, and we completely sold out. And thank God, we've always sold out. It took 18 months to develop that sandwich. See, people think. Oh, yeah, he's taking a regular Tony Luke sandwich from the store and you're just reheating it in the oven. That is absolutely not true. The bread that we use for that is different. That sandwich actually bakes in the oven around that meat. So when you get it out of that oven, man, it's it's spectacular. I mean, it, it's spectacular. I am so proud 
of that product. It doesn't get hard. It doesn't, you know, get like uh, a toast. It's still crispy on the outside, but soft in the middle. And the steak, you know, retains all of its juices. And and people are literally loving the sandwich because we're selling out. And the reviews have been phenomenal on it. Now, I mean, timing on this, um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the excellence of the product aside, um, you know, here we are. Uh, you talked about how wonderful your place is. Are, are you stuck there? Are you in, are you in quarantine? What, what's going on um, just in life? And, and then how it relates to you, the face of this company. Um, you know, how are, how are you lifting the spirits if you are with the, uh, you know, with the employees that are, you know, having their livelihoods uh, affected pretty well by, by this whole situation? Well, Tony Luke's the brand is doing whatever it can to help out as much as it can. Because you have to remember, I don't own any stores. Sure. All of the stores that we have are franchises, and they're all independently owned. So we're doing whatever we can to help them in any way that we can help them. Um, what's tough now, we used to go to the stores, you know, you know, once a month at minimum to make sure, you know, everything is being done correctly and checking temperatures and making sure the product is up to the standards that we want it to be. But now we can't. We can't go. We can't. It's, it's a lot. It's much more difficult now than it was prior. But thank God we have such amazing franchisees. They're really on top of what needs to be done. Unfortunately, I think we've only got one, one store open, if not two, because the casinos are closed. A lot, you know, a lot of sit down eating, a lot of mandatory shutdowns. And our franchisees have really been trying to comply with stopping the spread of, of this horrible virus. So we do, you know, we do what we can. You know, me going on QVC, talking to the franchisees, you know, John Moser, who you know mm -hmm. very well, who is the COO of Tony Luke's, is reaching out, you know, all the time to the franchisees to reassure them that. We're here to do whatever we, you know, whatever we possibly can, whatever's in our power to do to help ease this. And I've just been, you know, trying to make posts that have been very positive. And, and there's a lot of things. For me, it, it, it fell at the worst possible time because, I mean, you know, we're friends. The month of March is, is one of the most personally difficult months for me. So, you know, between writing music, which has really been my savior in a lot of things, and working on the Soundlight Network and hashtag brown and white. And one of the biggest concerns people are having right now is those that are struggling with addiction because, you know, we're, we're learning more and more, and I've been preaching more and more, that addiction is a mental health and trauma based illness, you know, people still think it's a choice. It really isn't. So people that are already suffering from trauma and mental health issues, where we're, we have a media that is just pounding, doom and gloom, pounding. And, I, and, and I'm not putting them down, I'm not. I mean, I know we have to make people aware and there are certain facts that we have to be well aware of, but when you take someone who's already suffering from these, these things, and then coop them up in a home and kind of cut them off from society. My biggest fear is what can we do to keep people from slipping back that are in recovery to self-medicating? What coping mechanisms do we need to put in place that we can do through 
social media that can keep people on track, you know, keep people level. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I self-medicate with food. And, and when my son passed away, I, I gained over 100 pounds because that's how I self-medicate. So the, the more positive things that we can put out on social media, I think there's certain things, and I know I'm kind of skipping, and yeah, I know I start rambling, and you can always pull me back, Don. But I think the one thing people don't need is all of this infighting from our politicians and the people that are in charge. Everyone is blaming everyone else. And I'm not questioning the validity of that blame for anything on any side. My point is, this is really not the time. Like, this is the time where everyone should be pulling together and giving as much positive information as, as, as and, and seeing our leaders right now come together as one and saying, okay, this is what we need to do. Here's how we need to do it. This is how we need to get through. And I think the best thing for people that they can do right now, as crazy as this sounds, is try limiting yourself to maybe 20 minutes of watching the, the insanity on TV <laughs> to get some information. And let's go back to interacting maybe like we used to before social media, but instead of actually meeting people, let's do things like this. Let's do FaceTiming with a group of people. And someone said something which I thought was amazing. Why not have dinner with your friends? Home, like set up a dinner, put your, you know, put your iPhone up or your Android or whatever you have. Let them see you eating, talking, having a conversation like you're having a dinner get together, only you're each in your own home. I mean, this is what we should be focusing on, on social media. And I think those that are leaders in the recovery community, and a lot of them are doing that, we need to be putting up more videos. We need to be doing, you know, as much encouragement to people who are in recovery, uh, reassuring them that, hey, this will pass. This is okay. We're here. We have an ear. I've told every friend that I know when you need someone to talk to, my phone is available 24-7. Give me a call. Let's talk it out. Let's. And I think that's the message we need to be putting out there is even though we can't physically be together, I think it's paramountly important that we do things like this and communicate as groups on social media. Finally, social media can be used for something that's super and, and actually. And actually social, right? And it's it's social. interactive as opposed yes. to one way trying to polish, you know, you know, your your whatever life you want to call it. You know, I don't want to say you're a third of a life and you're trying to put the, you know, the best filter on it. But like, this is just kind of real and raw. It's funny you bring that up. If you look at my uh, Instagram feed, uh, the office yesterday has been closed for, you know, for, for two weeks now. And we said, why don't my wife... Her company had a virtual happy hour on Friday. And I said, oh, that's awesome. Oh, I want to do that. So we did that, invited a couple clients, you know, mostly our employees, and we had anywhere from 10 to 12 people over the course of two hours coming in and out at different times, and people were just kind of having a beer and, and talking, and it, it was a lot of fun. And then I was getting messages from people that didn't make it saying, when's the next one? That, that, looked, that looked awesome. Um you know, and then we said, well, you know what, maybe we'll do a coffee instead. It might be a little bit more productive. So we might do a, you know, a little coffee meetup. But 
you know, you talk about leaders and, and you kind of, you, you did jump the gun, but it was where I was going anyway. It's, it's used, you're known as for food, you're, you're known for TV, you're known for some hosting, but I think your passion has, has always been music, um, your yeah. background, your upbringing, uh, and you've kind of used the notoriety and the fame that you got in one area to kind of pivot to your passions, one of which being music. The other one, again, I said earlier, I, I think you're an advocate. So when you talk about our leaders that you're listening to, it's individuals like yourself and, and others out there that aren't afraid to say, hey, give me a call or you know, let's jump on, let's talk. So when we talk about leaders, I think we really need to start looking at our community leaders as opposed to our government leaders to help us get through this, right? I, as The fun that I had for two hours last night with a bunch of people hundreds of miles away, you know, I, there's there's nothing the government can do or, or anybody else, you know, to to make me, you know, kind of feel the way and the comfort that I did uh, in that manner. And, and it's knowing that we're all in it together. Um, you mentioned the, the Sound Mind Network. And, and really, again, that I think is merging those two other passions that you have. Um, you know, what's next and, and, and how did that come about? And, and really, what is it in, in a more descriptive way? Well, um, when my son first passed away and anyone who has lost a child will truly understand what I'm about to say. Basically, you just want to die. I mean, it's it's no more complicated than the fact that the pain is so unbearable that you just want it to stop. And accepting loss is difficult. And, you know, I've said this, and I, and I don't ever think I can say it enough. And forgive me for those who are watching this, and I'm repeating myself, but it's true. Grief is grief, and, and I, I take nothing away from anyone's grief. There is no one grief that is more important than another grief. No one can say, hey, you know, I lost my mom, or I lost my dad, and then look down at someone who lost a, a family pet and be like, well, it was an animal. That's so horrible. You know what I mean? That's a legitimate grief, as horrible as any grief you can possibly face. The difference, though, between the grief of losing a spouse or a parent or a sibling, as opposed to losing a child, the difference comes in is there's something subconsciously in our mind that is instinctively drilled into us through our entire childhood and adulthood, there's almost an acceptance. There, there's, there's some things that we accept, just internally we accept them. We accept our own mortality. No, no one wants to die, but no one never leaves the house because they're afraid, oh my God, one day, I mean, we've accepted that. That's just what life is. We'd never want to lose a parent or a spouse or, or a sibling or a cousin or an aunt or a, gr or a grandparent, but we do know that that is going to happen. Those are some truths about life that just are what they are. But unfortunately, even though losing a child is a truth, it can happen. It does happen all the time, whether it's from addiction or from an illness, you know, any kind of disease or a virus, those things happen. But we're never prepared for it. There's, there's no place in our mind where we can put it 
to rest because it almost seems unnatural because my children are supposed to look back at memories of me. I'm not supposed to look back on memories of them. There should never be no more new memories. So it's a difficult thing. So it's a different grief. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, again, I, I'm never downplaying anyone's grief at all. But there's really no place to put it. And over the years, I realized that there really is never a place to put it in your mind. But you can put it in your heart. You can lay it to rest in your heart. Because that's where it belongs. And... I want to say to people, it'll get easier. That's ne not necessarily an untruth. The pain doesn't get easier. What winds up happening is you learn to manage the pain better. You learn to allow life to come back in. You learn to appreciate what you have and you learn to live. You absolutely learn to live more in the moment than you've ever done before because you don't want to go into the past because that's way too difficult. And you don't want to go far, too far in the future because if your worst nightmare came true, what else can happen? So the other thing that I think a parent feels more than someone who hasn't lost a child is you have children, so this whole coronavirus, this virus, you worry. Every parent is worrying about their mom. But when you lose a child, the worry about losing another child is heightened by 10 million. So where you might go, ah, you know what, I'm a little concerned. Um, someone who lost a child is more than a little concerned because, right. you know, oh, my, like, you can't. So, so those are things that you, 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 you need to deal with. So last year, the second year of Tony's passing, I called up my other two children and I said, I want to do something different on Tony's second year of passing. And they were like, dad, what do you want to do? I don't want to make it. I don't want to keep perpetuating the horrificness of the loss. I said, Tony loved going out to eat. Tony loved the movies. I said, so let's visit him in the cemetery. Let's go to breakfast. Let's toast him. Let's remember him. And then let's go to a movie because he loved the movies and literally buy another chair that no one can sit in. And it's his chair and watch the movie. Now, does that make the, the day less harder? Um, not, no, but what it does do is, is it becomes a celebration of the life that he lived rather than an anniversary of the loss of his death. So we've been doing that. And unfortunately, I can't do it. 
he died March 27th of 2017. I can't go to the movies tomorrow. I can't sit down and have dinner. And I, I don't, I'm afraid to be with my other children because I've done, I went to QVC, I've done back and forth to the other. So I don't want to risk them. They have children. My mom is old. Uh, my girl's mother is, is, is elderly. I don't want to bring anything to anyone. So this will be the first time since Tony is gone that I have to be alone with him. And I will probably do a FaceTime and, you know, chair my, you know, toast my son and tell him how much we love him. And maybe they'll let me into the cemetery tomorrow. Um, but those things are what I, you know, you deal with on a daily basis and getting back to what you said, in the midst of me literally wanting to die, a friend of mine brought me a keyboard. And music was always a big part of my life. But to be honest, I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, you, you don't want to do anything. And then it was sitting in the room and I walked over and I started to play because we're in my studio now. You can't really see it other than the mic. But there's keyboards and a computer and and uh, you know, I do Pro Tools and I have my Akai drum machine. Um, and I thought, I'm gonna write music, only now the way I write is gonna be much different than it was before. But do I just wanna write about pain and pain and pain? Well, I tried, I did, I wrote songs about pain. I wrote songs about trying to make people understand what I was feeling. But then I started to write songs that were about pain, but the light at the end of the tunnel somewhere and about addiction and about recovery. And so my music is much different now. And, uh, and, 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 and I believe you know, Hank, I, I want to say Hank Williams and I'm not the biggest country. I love all music. I do. <laughs> I love all music, but I remember someone saying, and I hope I'm not quoting incorrectly, but it's kind of how I feel about writing music. I think someone said, when they asked Hank Williams, uh, how do you write such great music? And he said, God writes the music, I just hold the pen. <laughs> You're and, the channel for which. Right, and I feel that the one blessing that God has given me is allowing me to be a channel through music that truly allows me not only to get out these feelings, but to hopefully write music that other people can relate to and know that they're not alone and that that there's there's always hope. Even in the darkest of night, there's always hope. Now, I happen to believe that even in the worst of times, God has got me. Because if not, I don't think I would still be here. But that's my own personal belief. Right. And I think the important part is that you found a way that works for you, right? For me. Right. And that might not be what works for anyone else. But there is a way if, you know, if you're willing and you're open and, and you want to fight through it. You're a fighter, right? Um, and I think it's interesting what you just described. This, this is not only a cathartic process for you. But hopefully this helps somebody else maybe realize what their path is to 
um, you know, recovery and, and peace and, and finding that peace. So, um, yeah, I and mean, kind of what this online network is, that was a partnership with Joe Niccolo, who owned um, Rough House Records and who owns Studio Four. Joe is a nine-time Grammy winner. Uh, Joe wants to do something to help to make people understand that it's a mental health and trauma uh, illness and disease. It is not. Um, it is not choice. So what we do is, and I want to give a huge, huge, huge shout out to the Bacon Brothers because Kevin and Michael have recorded two songs for the Sound Mind Network. They recorded one. They're recording a second. They couldn't be more amazing on what they're doing, you know, for the Sound Mind Network. Um, Sophie B. Hawkins, Joan Osborne, we've reached out to all of these people, Wyclef, and, and we've reached I mean, out big, to them. Big names, not just, again, yeah, performers, and, but also, I mean, they're singer-songwriters, right? Yes, and, and that's the thing. So what the Sound Mind Network basically is, is we want to create a website where people can share their creative outlet. So what we're trying to do is instead of people self-medicating to cope, we're hoping that with the Sound Mind Network, we allow people to upload their poems, to upload their songs, to share that with the world, their paintings, their photographs, their short stories. And we're going to hold concerts and all of that money is going to go to to financing documentaries about mental health and addiction and trauma and suicide. And, and we're not going to open up beds and we're not doing recovery centers. What we want to do is create a place, an educational venue for not only people to find a way for them to find that coping me mechanism to release that which is bottled up inside of them, but putting on these concerts and making people look at addiction differently than they have been forever. You got to remember, I'm trying, and the people that are do this every day are trying to combat a 70-year stigmatype of what addiction is. So how do we do that? We live in a, in a world of social media. So I ask people, you know, hey, look, guess what? I'm not, when it comes to me, we know each other a long time. I can remember on one hand things that I might have asked <laughs> someone if they can do for me. But most of the time, it's not about me. I try to make it never about me. And but I am going out there and I am telling people, if you're a company that does PR, please donate some time in helping push the Sound Mind Network. If you know an artist, if you know an athlete, if you know a celebrity that wants to get, you know, do, do a PSA for us or do a shout out, we're about to do a GoFundMe for that to put these concerts on. So believe me, I'm not shy. I've called friends of mine that I've never asked for a, a penny from and go, <laughs> hey, if you have any money, I need you to kick it up. Like, what, I don't care what it is because I'm not taking a salary. I'm not taking any money for this. This isn't about me. And Joe DiGiacomo is, 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 is the third gentleman involved. He's an amazing human being. Is this a national effort for you? Right now, or are you starting locally, expanding? What's, what's we're starting for? locally and we're expanding, but we're trying to get national. I'm trying to find a national PR firm that does social media that would be willing to 
to donate time. Let's and talk. Push, uh, <laughs> well, you trust me, that call's coming. <laughs> you know, and, and to help these these artists and to work with Pandora and Spotify. So what we're doing is we're going to release music periodically on all of these on all of these streaming services and any money that is made from that will go into the Soundline network but what, the real thing that we're doing is the GoFundMe that we're getting ready to do but then we want to hold concerts with all these different artists and having you know pay their expenses but then having all of the other proceeds go to be able to do more concerts to get to kids to make them understand there's other ways to cope with trauma and stress and mental health than self-medicating. And Tony, don't take this the wrong way because I'm not far behind you. I mean, generationally speaking, you know, we're we're not the um, you know we're we're not the core audience that a lot of people are trying to reach, and we're certainly not the core audience for for social media. Um, but the fact that you kind of embrace the technology that's around you, embrace the people that are around you, and use that technology to really kind of bring it in and and reach out. Um, is really a testament, but I also think that by building a coalition around you, you're able to he hit the multi-generations that are affected by these issues that you're speaking about, right? You talk about parents and grandparents and children. Um, you know, they don't all, they're not all receptive to the same micro, uh, the, the same messenger, but I think what you said about not making it about yourself, but about making it about the cause helps you to kind of hit them in the proper touch points that'll, that'll relate to them, whether it's through music, art, or just you know that that celebrity influencer that might be able to move the needle on somebody that's having a hard time. So uh, the way that you're going about it, it's certainly uh, commendable. Well, thank you, Don. And, and I, I also want to give a quick shout out. You know, we always have so much negativity to say about the younger generation. They don't want to do this, or they don't want to do that, or they don't have this. First of all, we were never exposed to the kind of you know, mass information that people that are younger are are being exposed to. We didn't have Instagram, you know, and we look at Instagram and we look at social media and these celebrities, you know, they 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 post um, this image of this incredible life. And I can tell you and you know, because you're around a lot of celebrities, hey, it ain't as incredible as they make it out to be. No, you know, it is not. Right. They're dealing with a lot. So. We want to emulate this. We want to, you know, I, the, the thing that hurts me is this is this attitude from some of the younger generation of just live today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let's just not, you know, we don't know what, you know, live, party as hard as you can. And it, 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 it starts to become this kind of selfish thing where, you know, we we everything becomes about us, the, the selfies, the posting, the. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I get it because that's what they were exposed to. But if on the flip side of that coin, I can tell you personally, you will never find a more caring, a more passionate, a more willing to understand generation in your life. You know, I, I, I did South by Southwest. And I got up to And I've been bugging you to do that a decade ago. I'm glad I know. Moser, Moser finally called up and said, hey, you going? I said, uh, not this year, but what, what, we should have done this six years ago. But I'm, I'm yeah, glad you did I wanted to go. And I was doing mistakes, but I had asked the gentleman who was doing the music, I said, would you mind very much if 
I got up and did, you know, a couple songs. And they were like, oh, what, what? And I'm like, I, you know, some songs, what's, you know, songs I've written. And they were like, songs you've written? So they were like, <laughs> so here I am. Uh, you know, I'm not a young guy by any stretch of the imagination. I got up in front of all of these 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, and I sang my music. And they were so overwhelmingly accepting and cheering. And, and they came up to me and said, where are you performing? Like, where do I? And I said, you do realize how old I am. And they were like, Tony, your music has meaning. Your music touches something. It's obvious you don't know anything about our generation. We will come and watch you in droves doing, doing a show because it's not about your age. It's about the message. And I give them so much credit for that. But also you know the, the I mean? fact so that you're, you're, you're willing to take it uh, into, their, into their neighborhood, right? Onto their playground. And, and you're not assuming or expecting that these young people should come to you. You're not afraid to get out there and kind of mix it up with them as well in a positive way. Um, and speaking of, of universal languages, we've talked about food, we've talked about music. And before we go on and wrap up in a little bit, comedy. <laughs> another uh, another universal language. It's a healing, let's, man. It's healing. Right, let's, let's, let's bring it up a little bit and talk a little bit about Comedy Kitchen that you're doing with Craig <laughs> Shoemaker. Shoemaker or Maker? Shoemaker. Mock never call maker. him mock, Mocker. He goes, right. you make shoes, you don't mock them. <laughs> All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Man, I, I just watched that trailer that you put on Instagram, and and, and some of my favorites uh, were on there. Nick Swartzen was uh, was among them. He's the uh, guy he's that a stuck out dude. the We had a blast. He, he cracks me up. Uh, tell us a little bit about the concept and, and what's down the pike for that. Well, this was the brainchild of, of Craig Shoemaker. Um, he had this idea, uh, had this <laughs> idea of doing a show where kind of a fish out of water and that we, we actually, he did it for me. He was my mentor with comedy. He mentored me because he believed that, well, he, he thought I, was, I could do it first. Then when Tony passed away, he waited obviously a while. And then he came back and he said, Tony, I really believe that the comedy could heal, help heal you when you're ready. Please let me know. And then he really convinced me that the comedy could help heal me with the music. And, and I did it. And he mentored me. And I started opening up and playing everywhere. And I, he taught me, you know, how to get started, what, you know, what comedy is and how do I feel about it? How do I look at the world? And then he called me up one day and we, we did this pilot for BBC America. And it wasn't about what we're doing now. It was about me teaching him how to be a, a chef and him mentoring me going to all the different clubs. The problem they had was, where's the longevity? Once Tony hits it and you learn, where does the show go? And right. then we were doing a benefit in California and we played it for someone. And they were like, man, this is really a great show. It's a shame you guys couldn't do anything. And Craig thought, well, wait a minute. What if the first show is about me teaching you comedy and you teaching me food and we compete, but then every other show is a different celebrity chef and a different cele celebrity comic. And when I tell you it works, and I love Craig. So the <laughs> chemistry between me and Craig is so genuine Right. If and that's not that's there, so the show's not going to work. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So then they had the idea of why don't we do a podcast to go along, a video podcast to go along with the show. 
So Amazon Prime said, okay, we'll take the show. So then they said, why don't you guys do a, a, pod, a podcast? Then you can do the podcast and the actual show. So you're dealing with co comedians that, are, that have been on already or are going to be on. So you get more of a detail than you do in just the actual contest. But we had a great job. We, we had so much fun. And we did it. The, the, the original four episodes were done at Davis Winery. And the podcasts were all done at the Sunset Marquee Hotel in West Hollywood. And what an amazing group of people they are, from the general managers to the chefs to everyone that's there. It was, I just feel so honored and blessed to be able to do that. But between the music and the comedy, I think that works. And I was just working with someone who said to me, I don't know why you don't do a one-man show. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, think about your life growing up in South Philly and then all of the incarnations between being, uh, you know, doing amateur, you know, uh, martial arts and then getting in trouble like I did and, you know, dealing with a drug problem, not an addiction, then starting all these different businesses that didn't work and then doing the music business in the 80s and writing and all of these failures and coming back and then the loss, you know, the family quarrel with the business and then losing your son and then going out. He said, you can incorporate your music. You can incorporate your stories, which are sad and funny. He said, I believe that they'll do it. And I spoke with a comic named uh, Jay Black, who's an amazing guy. And he's like, Tony, I'd like to take a shot at helping you write, you know, do the one man show. So after all this craziness is over, I think we're going to do that. And I think that that could be another tool to let people understand that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it is, if you keep fighting, you'll get through it. You know, it's not going to be easy and it'll never be the same. Like when Tony died, I died. But the new version of me doesn't have to be a worse version of me. It's a different version. Yeah. And maybe I appreciate things way more than I did before. You know, and uh, it, it's all it's look, it's life. And the, but my tragedy is nothing compared to some people's. Tra there's always someone that old saying there's always someone else who would trade places with you in a minute. Right, right. You know, so you don't know. Well, Tony, I, I really appreciate you opening up to us today. And I didn't know where this was going to go or what we could do. But there's certainly you give us plenty of material to, to do that. And then that's it's amazing. You're an amazing person. I really do. Thank you. I do have a confession. Um, I've really become a, a, a cutlet Ita Italian cutlet guy. Ah. Uh, so on National Cheese Steak Day here, when when you are at Tony Luke's, make sure you get the uh, the cutlet Italian. That's a chicken cutlet, broccoli well, rob, and a sharp yeah. provolone. Uh, you might not get cheese steaks there anymore. It's a it's a different universe. But Tony, this was awesome. But I have to invite you to that next uh, happy hour or coffee thing that we do. This oh, was. I'm down. I, th I think you'd appreciate it. We had a good time. But, you know, I think the universal message that, that you talk about is just that we're, we're all in this together. You hear that a lot nowadays with everything that's happening. Um, but throughout life, it's it's the same mantra. Uh, we are in it together. And the people that lift us up are those ones like Craig that can just call you up at the right time when it's when it's right, knowing what you're going through and saying, hey, let me help you. And I think this will help you and we'll have fun and we'll move on and maybe we'll help somebody else with it. So. Everybody out there, keep on helping each other out. We'll get through this. We don't know how. <laughs> I have three kids that I'm homeschooling. I'm 
trying to take them on some field trips when it allows where we can go and, and, and socially distance. But, um, yeah, it's uncharted territory, but, you know, thank you for being one of those leaders that helps people, um, you know, in all facets of their life. Well, thank you for having me, Don. You know, I love seeing you. I always love hanging out with you and thank you for allowing. I'm, I'm just glad you picked up today. You know, not that you usually don't, but I just kind of on a whim said, let's see if we can get Tony. And here we are. Well, thank you, my friend. And, and, th and that, again, a testament to you. I can call you up and say, yeah, you want to do this in an hour? Let's go. <laughs> so anyway, until hopefully next week, I am Don Pobius. Thank you to our special guest, Tony Luke Jr. We'll put in his contact information and all the stuff that he talked about down in the comment section. I appreciate it. everybody. Take care. This is the Outside Game podcast. You can find the Outside Game at theoutsidegame.com as well as on all the socials under that same handle, the Outside Game. This is Don. Peace out. See you later.